For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secret of, secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This is God's word. You may have a seat. All right. Well, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. Good to see you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're a guest, again, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. Um, I was not with you guys last week, and it looked like a few hundred other people were not here with you last week either. Um, but uh, we, were, we were back in Ohio. My wife's youngest sister, Maggie, got married, and she was nine years old when I first met her. And I had the privilege of getting to officiate her wedding, and our whole family was in it. And it was just this really beautiful day and beautiful weekend, and, and it was great to be there. But I'm glad to be back and glad to be um, digging into the Scripture. Um, you know, when you're on vacation, you don't typically watch as much TV, or if you do, it's just sports or something like that if you're us. You, you kind of miss your, your favorite TV shows. Do you have, what are your favorite TV shows? It's one of my favorite questions to ask people. I think you get, a lot, get to know a lot about people by what their favorite TV shows are. Dexter? Parks and Rec, okay. Doctor Who, we got a lot of Doctor Who fans around here in the Ring family at least. MASH, Mythbusters, yeah. There's, so, so, enough. Stop. Um, you know, what's interesting is I think about the different kinds of TV shows, and there's so many different kinds now, um, but if it, sort of two categories that you might put TV shows into. Um, one would be the kind of show that each episode is sort of a standalone episode. So that's, like, one of my favorite shows is Restaurant Impossible, where this guy goes into these just awful restaurants, and he turns it around in 48 hours and has very limited money. And, and, and if you've seen one Restaurant Impossible, you've kind of seen them all, you know, but you see one, and it's not connected to a previous episode. It's not connected to a future episode. It's just a standalone thing. And then there's other shows, like another show I really like is Person of Interest, um, or, uh, you know, Brazelton right now is, like, all in to 24 DVDs. He's a few years behind, but he's watching the DVDs. <clears throat> and every time I see him, he's like, 24 Jack killed another person, right, or just whatever it is. It's just he's so excited. And if you ever watch a show like that, you know that those shows kind of build on each other. Like you, you can't, if you just watch one episode and you haven't followed along, you kind of go, where, who's that and why does he hate her and what's going on? And you don't get it. And, and, and the reason I, I mention that is because Romans is, is more like person of interest than Restaurant Impossible. And what we're doing in this book of Romans, and one of the challenges we're going to face is we're, we're looking at about 70 weeks of the book of Romans, where we're just kind of taking a chunk at a time, little by little. And, and one of the things that tends to happen, if you kind of look at it in sort of these small chunks, is you can begin to lose the big picture of it. And if you lose the big picture of it, and you start viewing it like Restaurant Impossible, just a standalone thing, then you kind of miss the flow of all that's going on. And so, so Romans, is, it's important as we go through this that we kind of continue to to track along with the argument Paul's making. One of the reasons that so many people like the book of Romans is because the Apostle Paul here is, is making a very logical, sequential 
argument. It's leading somewhere. And every part of it's sort of building on another part. Um, and, and this particular part that we're in, in Romans 1 through 3, Paul is making this argument that all of humanity is sinful. That all of humanity has rebelled against God, some in very obvious ways and some in more subtle, even spiritual and religious ways, but that all of us have sinned. And he's, he's working really hard to convince us of this. And you may begin to go, gosh, uncle, okay, I get it already. Why is he still going? Well, the reason he's so thorough in this and the reason he's, he's going in every kind of direction is because trying to convince a person that they're sinful is like trying to nail jello to a wall. Right? It just sort of squirts out and gets around it and, and, and has a reason and has an excuse. And yeah, well, what about this? And well, but you don't understand. And here's my situation. And so what Paul is doing in this chunk is he's not just willing to say, you're all sinful. Because he knows that people are going, well, not me because this. Well, not me because that. And so what he's doing, particularly in chapter 2, is he's kind of starting to weave into and go, hey, 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 I mean you too. Hey, hey, yeah, you're included. We're talking about everybody. So that's kind of what's going on in this particular uh, chunk of Scripture. In, in Romans chapter 1, we looked at this. Uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul was addressing uh, the Gentiles, these people who are not Jewish and didn't grow up in a Jewish religious tradition. And he says that all of them are sinful. We said it this way, if sin were blue, we'd all be Smurfs. Hey, I like that. All right, you, get, you got that, all right? And then we're getting into Romans 2 here. And in Romans 2, he's beginning to focus his attention. We'll actually see in next week's passage, he explicitly mentions that he's addressing Jewish people. Now, th this is where we've got to do a little bit of just sort of connecting, because my guess is there are very few of you here today that are, that are Jewish, ethnically, religiously, backgrounded Jewish. Most of us are Gentiles. Um, and so it's a little bit harder to understand sort of the, the cultural pride that would go along with being Jewish. But, but Paul here, who is Jewish himself, is, is in chapter 2 beginning to critique more religious people, more Jewish people. In our context, it would be sort of people with a church or religious or spiritual kind of background. And, and, and we saw in the first part of Romans that, that we judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. We don't use the same rules when we judge ourselves as when we judge other people. But we saw, and, and Josh did a good job explaining this from the next part of Romans 2, that, that God is going to judge us. No one gets out of it. God's judgment is complete. It's coming. It's thorough. It's going to happen. And so, so, so now Paul is just sort of squeezing it a little bit more. And, and particularly kind of going after people that come from this particular kind of religious background. And so again, the specific context that Paul's talking about is a Jewish and Gentile situation, a situation that was very tense. There was a lot of pride culturally around being Jewish. There was a lot of religious pride around that in good and bad ways. It led to a lot of interesting conflict between Jews and Gentiles. We're not facing that particular thing, but, but the closest thing to it would be the the sort of tensions that arise in a church between people that have had a, a long religious tradition and people that are brand new to this thing. And one of the things that I've seen is that, that wherever people come from, we have a, a tendency, maybe a temptation even, to overemphasize the importance of our background. So I see this in, in a number of, th specifically kind of three different ways. Some of you are here and you grew up with no particular spiritual influence. 
You didn't grow up going to church. Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopalian, Baptist, non-denominational. You didn't, you didn't grow up with any of that. You, you, you don't have that tradition. You don't have that background. Some of you even are here today, and you're coming, like, very recently out of that. Like, you, this is your first time in church maybe in a long time or maybe ever. And you didn't grow up with that sort of tradition. You, you, you maybe went to weddings and maybe occasionally on a, on a holiday or something like that, but, but you didn't have that background. That wasn't part of how your parents brought you up. You didn't have a grandparent that way. And if you're in that, if, you're in that, if that's part of your story, you, I think, have a tendency to think, I'm kind of on the JV team. You know, I hear about stuff like VBS, and I don't even, what, what does that mean? Is that a code for something? What is that? You know, or, and you sort of hear about these different things and serving and tithing and membership and all these things that mean a lot to church people, and you just go, I don't, I don't get it. And even if now you're a Christian, you, and you go, but I, that wasn't part of your background, you can kind of think that like somehow you're behind or you got a lot of extra effort to make up because you didn't have all that. So there's some people in that boat. Then there's other people that I would put in kind of a, you grew up in a nominal Christian home where your, your home was not particularly devout or um, committed. To, you know, it wasn't like you prayed a lot as a family. It wasn't like you read the scripture a lot as a family. It wasn't like your parents' counsel and advice always had to do with God and, and, and Christianity. But you were very insistent on we are Lutheran. We are Catholic. We are Methodist. We are Presbyterian. We are Baptist. And you would kind of go, I don't really know what that means or why that's important because it doesn't seem like we really go to church a lot, but man, we are Catholic. Right? And, and pick, pick your denomination, pick your strand, whatever that is. I'm not trying to pick on anyone in particular, but, but you would grow up in that, in that situation. And, and some of you might have a temptation to think that because of that religious tradition that you're sort of loosely attached to, that makes you good with God. So if, you, if I said, why, do you, why are you a Christian? You'd say, because my parents were Presbyterian. And I was baptized as a baby, and I was confirmed as a teenager, and I'm a Christian. As if, as if Christianity was sort of an inherited trait, you know, that was like this color of your skin or the color of your eyes or some sort of ethnic thing. And, and that's not true. Your faith is, is about a real decision that, that you make. And so some people overestimate their, past, their religious past because they didn't really have one. Other people, it's sort of loosely attached to this nominal Christianity that they knew. And then some of you grew up in a very intensely Christian home a very intensely religious home, and, and you, you know, participated in all the things, you went to all the camps, you memorized all the verses, you have all the t-shirts, you know, you, you, you know all the songs, right? You know the songs? Any of you grow up in, in this world? The B-I-B-L-E song. Right? Anyone want to come up and volunteer to sing that? No? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, right? Yeah, there you go. Some of you, you even knew the cheer, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it, you, way too many of you in this service. <laughs> Father Abraham had many sons. So, so I'm, I'm a college student. Um, I grew up somewhere in between the nominal and the, involved in a lot. We, we weren't super involved, but I had enough experiences to kind of be around some of that. And, and when I was in uh, college, 
Um, I played on a baseball team called Athletes in Action, which were Christian baseball players from all over the country, and we, we played in the league, and we'd share the gospel, and we'd do discipleship, and we'd play ball, and it was a really cool experience. And I remember once being in the mall in Kansas City, Missouri. It was during a, we had a rain out, so we all had nothing to do but go to the mall. And Josh Wooten, who was from Star, Mississippi, who was 6'5", he's the guy, if you've ever heard me say, if that don't light your fire, your wood's all wet. That came from Josh, Josh uh, Wooten. And Josh Wooten, I, I turned the corner, and Josh Wooten is in the restaurant marching around. Father Abraham had many sons. And, and I'm, I'm watching him going, what on earth is he doing? And what song is that? that but he grew up, his, dad, his daddy was a pastor, and his daddy was a pastor. And, I mean, it was like in the, like in the deal, right? Or maybe you, maybe you grew up with the song, uh, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Right? You know all that. And, and some of you in that first category right now are just like, can I leave? Like, these people know these songs. What is this? What's wrong with this? Right? But, but for those of you in that, in that world, like, you also have a tendency to overemphasize that because, like, you've kind of heard it all and you know a lot. And you probably had a number of times where you walked forward or you made a commitment or you made a recommitment or you made a recommitment on a recommitment and you've been baptized multiple times and you've had all this sort of experience. And, and, and it, it's hard, if you're honest, sometimes to separate that experience and that upbringing from, is that really going on in my heart? And so what Paul is going to talk about today in this particular chunk is he's starting to turn the screws on people who overemphasize their religious upbringing, specifically Jewish people. People who are saying, well, I'm okay. All, Paul, you've been talking about all this sin stuff and all this judgment stuff, but, but I'm okay because I'm Jewish. And, and Paul, don't you know, we have the traditions. We have the word of God. We have the law. The law is going to be referred here, and it's the idea of the Torah, the, it's summarized in the Ten Commandments, but the, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, that, that, that summarize what it is to be God's people and to know God and how to obey him. And, and we've got all that, Paul. And, and, you know, Paul, you're making a big deal out of nothing. I just don't really get it. We've got all that. And, and what Paul is going to say here in this particular part is that your religious upbringing makes no difference you're still guilty. The, the tradition that's been passed down to you, your ethnicity, you know, in, in this case being ethnically Jewish or growing up in a religious home, makes no difference. So I want to do a little twist on that one of those kids' songs, and here's kind of the big idea today. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Red and yellow, black and white, they are guilty in his sight. That doesn't sound as fun to sing, Right? And yes, precious, God loves people. But every person that God loves is guilty. Red and yellow, black and white, Jewish, Gentile, irreligious, religious. Every person, Paul tells us in this passage, is guilty. Apart from God, apart from God's intervening grace, before having an encounter with the risen Jesus, we're guilty, all of us. 
And so that's who he's beginning to turn the screws on. And again, he's talking here to someone who's religious, uh, maybe part of a religious system, but who doesn't truly have saving faith in Christ, who would kind of minimize their sin and go, eh, my stuff's just not that big of a deal. It's not that bad. So, so get this. He's talking to unsaved religious people. That's who he's talking to. And here's what we're going to see, is we're going to see that our religious background does not help us and he's going to give three different reasons why this, whether you have it or whether you don't, it doesn't matter. You're still guilty, and you're still a sinner. Your religious background doesn't help you. First reason he gives us is in verses 12 and 13, is because your sinful actions condemn you. Your sinful actions condemn you. Look at what he says in verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So someone might argue back to Paul, well, Paul, you're making a big deal out of this. We have the law. We have the word of God. We have the tradition. And he goes, listen, everyone who sins is going to be condemned. It's going to be judged is guilty. The people that don't have the religious tradition and the law will be judged without the law. That's not the standard that's going to be used. And the people that grew up in that religious tradition and have the Word of God will be judged by the Word of God. But everyone will be guilty because everyone sins. Look at it, verse 12. For all who have sinned, and he's going to tell us in chapter 3, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is every single person. Everyone who sins is going to be judged. And without the intervening grace of God, it says in verse 12, will perish. Why? Verse 13. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God. There's no merit in just having a Bible. If you have a Bible, even if you read it, even if you come to church regularly and you hear it, even if these people went to synagogue regularly and offered sacrifices regularly and were hearers of the law, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And not doers like, you do it sometimes. You know, more often than not. The same apostle in Galatians 3.10 says that everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law, is under a curse. So you're, you're guilty because of your actions. Now get this, it's because of your actions. Verse 12, it's your sin. All who have sinned, all who have sinned. It, it's not like this. You know, there's certain people, and you probably work with people like this, or maybe you have some people like this in your family, where they just kind of drive you nuts. And if you got kind of pushed on it, you'd go, I don't even know why. Like, they've never really done anything to me. They just, oh, they just irritate me. You have people like that? That's not how God is. God's not like, you know, they haven't done anything wrong, and I, I don't, they haven't bothered me, but I just don't like them. Hell. Go to hell. That's not, that's not what God's like. God doesn't judge anybody because he's sort of, preferential to different kinds of people, or he likes, you know, these, these are the cool kids or something like that, right? That's the point that was made back in verse 11. God shows no partiality. What God judges by is your actions, your actions, and your actions 
condemn you. Your actions condemn you. Your, your disregard of God in your thinking, right? in your feeling, in your affection. The, the number one commandment of the Bible is love God with everything. You do that? Have you done that perfectly? No. Not to mention the things you've thought and the things you've said and the things you've felt and the, fan- the fantasies you've had and the, the ways that you've misappropriated your money and the harsh words you've said to people and just on and on and on. We could go on and on. That's what condemns you. Paul is saying you, your, your tradition, your background doesn't matter. If you've committed sin, you're guilty. Whether you didn't have the law or whether you did, you're guilty. Your religious background doesn't help you because your sinful actions condemn you. Here's the second reason, is you failed to live up to your knowledge. Whatever you know, Paul says, you've failed to live up to it, right? So your actions are the reason for judgment. What Paul then is saying is that your knowledge is the standard for judgment. Get that? Your actions are the reason. Why are you going to be judged if you don't have Christ? Because of your sin, What's the standard that God will use to judge you? Your knowledge. That's his point in verse 12. All who have sinned without the law will still perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by law. You go, well, that, I, I get why the people who had the law and broke it would be judged. That makes sense. They, they didn't do what they knew they were supposed to. But what about the people that didn't have the law? Right, this is a similar question to maybe a question you've asked before. I know it's a question I've gotten a lot where people will say, well, what about the people in Africa who've never heard? They, they've never, they don't have a Bible. They've never had someone tell them about Jesus. What about them? Well, Paul is going to actually talk about that in verses 14 and 15. Here's what he says. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying everyone has a standard of morality. It's why when when people who do not come from a religious background, who don't have the Word of God, do things that seem good to us, you go, well, why 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 are you moral? And they'd say, well, because I just have a sense of what's right and what's wrong. Where do you get that? Well, that's the work of the law, being made in God's image, having a conscience. So even if you don't have the exact words of the law, maybe you don't know the exact Ten Commandments, you kind of have an idea that it's bad to kill people. Why? Because God's put that there. And so what he's saying is there are times when people who don't have the law do good things. But a lot of the time, they do things, and and their thoughts, it says in verse 15, accuse them. They have conflicting thoughts. Was this the right thing? Was this the wrong thing? Well, I don't know. Well, and part of why it's confusing is because the standard is often just themselves. But he's saying, listen, if you have the law, this is really easy. You broke the law. If you don't have the law, you're still going to perish because you failed to live up to your own standard. If you would say, I should always love people. Maybe you don't come from a religious background. You should say, you know what? Loving people is the right thing, and I believe in unconditional love. Okay, totally agree. How's that going? 
You know, I believe that we should always be positive and encouraging to people. How's that going? Right? Even whatever standard you live up to, you should always work hard. Right? I have a friend who, the way he evaluates whether you're worth anything in life is whether you work hard. Okay? Has he ever been lazy? Guilty. Right? So whatever standard you apply, the Apostle Paul here is saying, regardless of what it is, you're, you're still guilty. So, so the next time um, you think about, well, what about people in Africa? I think there's two ways to approach that. One is to say, God will be fair and God will be right in his judgment. And they are still under condemnation because they failed to live up to their own standards. But in the end, God will judge that. And then the second way I always respond to that is, but you have heard. So you can't wiggle out of this. You have heard. What are you going to do with this? Your religious background doesn't help you because you failed to live up even to your own knowledge. Here's the third reason why your religious background doesn't help you, is you have secrets. You have secrets. There are things in your life that no one knows, but God does. Look at verse 16. On that day, when according to my gospel... God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Right? The person with the law, the religious person, the person with the religious background goes, well, you know, I've, I've done a pretty good job of trying to keep that, and, and I think I'm okay because, you know, I've, I've been a pretty good person. It's like the, the guy who came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus said, be perfect. And he said, got it. I already did. Now what else? Right? It's like some, some religious people kind of think that way. And, and Paul here is saying, you're wrong. If you've broken any part of it, you're guilty. Then there's other people who are like, well, I'm not, I don't have all the tradition, but I'm, I'm a good person. And Paul says, you haven't even lived up to your own standard. And for all of you, here's what Paul's saying. For all of us, here's what Paul's saying. You have secrets. This, God judges the secrets of men. We see the outward. We see the action. You could be deservingly condemned simply by the action. But even if you're just one of the sweetest, nicest, greatest people ever, you still have secrets. Heard once of a group of teenage boys that would torment people by walking around to them and saying, I know what you did. Do you know why that was so tormenting? Because everybody had something. Do you know about that? I know what you've thought. I know what you've said. I know where you went. I know how you had to cover your tracks. I know how you had to lie. I know what you did. And that's what God's saying. I know the secrets. It didn't get past me. I know. So you can't appeal to, well, but I was raised in a religious home and my parents are Christian and I have a Bible. Great. You still have secrets. What are you going to do with those? Where are you going to go with those? 
right? These, again, these are the things that nobody knows about. If you were to compare yourself or if you were to ask your friends, hey, what do you think of me? Right? They'd all go, you're a great person. And then if you were to ask God, God would say, you do a lot of good things, but I got some dirt on you. Right, right. Josh had a great illustration last week where he talked about that you, you might get to heaven and, and open a file cabinet and right, there's just all this paper that comes out. Every single thing you've ever thought or said or done, much of it that no one would know about. But God does. So what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? See, that's what Paul is trying to do in this whole chunk of scriptures. He's trying to, to lead you to say, I can't go anywhere. I have no excuse. I can't appeal to my background. I, I can't appeal to the way I was raised. I, I can't appeal to that I'm better than Hitler. Great. I can't appeal that I'm a, a pretty nice person. I, I have nowhere to go except to admit that I'm guilty and then cry out for mercy. And that's what Paul is trying to do. He's, he's, he's putting the screws to us. He's putting the pressure on. He's trying to break our will to get us to go, okay, I get it. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. Which is why in verse 16, he says something really interesting. He says in verse 16, he's talking about the, the work of the law written on the hearts of, of people. And he says, verse 16, on that day when according to my gospel... God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Paul is, is talking about his gospel, and he doesn't mean like his, like he has his own, but, but the gospel, and the word gospel means good news. The, the word gospel is a significant uh, word in this book of, of Romans. The theme of Romans is salvation. This book is all about good news. But Paul is saying here, part of my good news, part of my gospel, according to my gospel, part of it is that God judges the secrets of men. Part of my good news is that God knows what you did. You go, well, that doesn't feel like good news. And here's the thing. It's only good news if you're willing to say, okay, God, you're right, and I want Jesus. And then it's great news because it's actually pushed you to a place where you had nowhere else to squirm but go to him. But it's awful news. If you go, well, this doesn't really apply to me. But for those who are willing to turn to Christ, this is, this is great news. Because God sees what we've done. We are guilty. We deserve his wrath. And, and we're under it. If we don't turn, acknowledge our sin and turn to Christ. Commentator John Stott writes this. He says, we cheapen the gospel if we represent it as a deliverance only from unhappiness, fear, guilt, and other felt needs, instead of as a rescue from the coming wrath. I love that the gospel promises to give us joy, that the gospel promises to give us freedom and life. I love that. But the reason it can do that is because it delivers us from our main problem, which is that we are under God's Wrath, because red and yellow, black and white, we are guilty in his sight. And so I hope you're beginning to even feel the weight of your sin and then, and then begin to see it as possibly leading you towards good news. 
I want to finish by uh, reading a, a blog post. Um, if you don't read the, the posts on the Redemption website, you should. If you go to just our Redemption site and you scroll down a little bit, every week there's a number of kind of fresh posts and it, just kind of articles, and most of them are fairly short, and you can you know, just read it uh, kind of as you go. We post it on Facebook and stuff like that. And it's a lot of times different pastors writing different things about that. And uh, our own Matthew Brazelton had a terrific post this last week. And I want to I finish by, by reading you a portion of, of what, he, what he wrote. Here's basically what he said. How would you finish this sentence? All this talking about sin is making me blank. And he goes on in this article to talk about how you know, we're in this long series on Romans, and it's just like we keep beating the you stink drum, you know, over and over and over. And, it, you know, you might be tempted to go, you know what, let's check out another church for a few months until we get to the good news. And, you know, he kind of has, he, like, like, what's your answer to that? How would you finish that? All of this talk about sin is making me what? Well, he continues. He, Matthew writes, I believe this is one of the enemy's greatest tactics keeping us believing that we can save ourselves, that our need is small, our condition is not that grave, our problems are easily remedied, and our hope is in discovering our own potential. If, however, we dare to stare intently into the mirror of Romans 1 through 3, not merely glance, but really gaze at the horrific condition of our hearts marred by sin, we are actually taking the initial steps toward truly being free. When we realize the degree of our offense when we begin to understand the nature of the debt we owe, we can learn to finish the sentence above with one word, grateful. Let's pray. God, I am grateful to you for your grace. 